Instead of the spooks we expect on Halloween week, we were treated to an early season blizzard. After winning two games, the Broncos lost their direction and their quarterback while refusing to move on to the future. The Nuggets are still trying to see through their early season woes, while the Avs lost their captain indefinitely. Gather round this Halloween, not for ghost stories, but those haunting us closer to home. Enter, if you dare, into the Denverse. Bone chilling. Welcome to the Denverse. I'm Quinn. I'm Derek. And we are back after I deleted a podcast episode and then went out of town. (laughs) But here we are. So an absolute mayhem and then just skipped out on it. Um, But yeah, we're back at it. Um, We just passed the most beautiful day in sports, um, which was the last Sunday was the only day in the calendar year where all four major sports were playing at the same time. So you got the start of the basketball NBA season, um, the World Series, middle of football, and um, the hockey season where I think teams are really starting to settle in and show who they really are. So um, happy Halloween, but more so happy, happy, glorious sports day to all. Recording this on Wednesday afternoon, and a lot of people were talking about if the Rockies had been the home team in the World Series, their games would have been scheduled for Tuesday night in the middle of the not-real-blizzard, and today, which they definitely could play tonight, but it would be really cold. Yeah. I'd still take those odds, but it's uh, late October is a tough time to schedule baseball games. Yeah. I mean, well, you got Houston... Closing out in Houston, so that would be a smooth 70-degree. And they have a dome, so it's just oh, they're fine whenever. Well, they but have they have the dome, but then they also have, like, the little open area um, yeah. in the outfield. It's a really nice stadium. Um, but shout-out to my bias. Go Nats. I would love to see them get the first World Series win. Yes, hopefully when you're listening to this, the Nats have won. Yeah, buddy. And we can talk about. The craziness that is Strasburg and his career with the Nationals at some point. Yeah, dude. Pretty interesting. But right now, let's return to Denver where everything is kind of all over the place. Um, We were talking about this last night. We went to the Nuggets loss to the Dallas Mavericks. And we were talking about trying to readjust our expectations after the playoffs last year. Because the last time we saw the Avs and Nuggets, the games mattered so much where it was live and die by every play. And I felt this at the beginning of the Avs season, and now I felt it with the Nuggets, where it's very hard to go, like, calm down. There are 82 games. They're not going to win all of them. It isn't life or death. It's very hard to adjust. Yeah. Well, I'm almost happy that they lost just to get it out of the way. Um, I mean, we had high hopes for the 82-0 and um, season. But, yeah, it's, I remember I was driving home a couple nights ago listening to – uh, the Nuggets came on the radio, and I had to check my hands because all of a sudden, like, I was gripping the steering wheel so hard because I was so invested in, um, well, shout out to Jason Kuzmicki, the radio announcer. He's really good at his job, um, really, like, captures the hype. But, yeah, it's the beginning of the season. There's so much basketball left to play. We'll be well into 2020 before games are make or break. Um, but it's really hard. Yeah, we were back in the Pepsi Center for me the first time since 
the Game 7 loss to Portland in May, and it was really hard not to feel that excitement and anxiety from tip-off of the game. Even though, like, it didn't really matter that much, they haven't played very well the first four games. I was still, like, when they lost, it was, like, as devastating as, like, that Clippers game we went to for, like, a few seconds before I was, like, hold on. Like, they didn't just lose their chance to make the playoffs. They just lost a game they should have lost. Yeah, I mean, they lost the game on a back-to-back where I'm sure the weather affected everyone's travel. And Dallas is a good team. I think they've been projected as the seventh or eighth seed in the playoffs, but... If they play with the, I'm going to say connectivity, um, that they had, just mean like everyone was firing on all cylinders. I think Dallas had nine players scoring double digits. That That is a certified playoff team from first hot take early looks. So, yeah, you can't fault the Nuggets for that. I mean, um, the Clippers have lost to the Suns. Lakers have lost to the Clippers. I think there's only two teams that are still undefeated in the West, and um, everyone is going to take their lumps because it's a super competitive conference. I'm, I wouldn't say I'm concerned about the Nuggets right now, but I do. It is frustrating to me that they haven't. It doesn't seem like they've taken a step early in the season where you're like, it feels like they can control games, which is something that they sort of did at some point last year. Like, I feel like in the middle of the season, there were games they could just control. Yeah. And as one of what we believe to be the top four teams in the West, given their schedule so far where they played the Suns and the Kings, who are not expected to be playoff teams, and a higher-tier Dallas team, it would have been nice if they could have just controlled one of those games and you felt like everyone was coming together because they're going to need to win some games big so that they can rest guys, see some different looks. Yeah. And that is a little concerning to me. Well, I mean, I think they played the most complete game last night. And as we were talking earlier, it was really that like six-minute stretch where the bench came in um, late third, early fourth, where they blew close to a 10-point lead. And by the time the starters came in, it was like a 10-point deficit. I think at one point in the fourth quarter, it, um, Dallas had outscored the Nuggets 20-4. to four. And, like, those stints are going to happen. And those are the stints that lose games every once in a while. Um, but it's just frustrating, especially because we look at the depth and think, oh, our most of our bench could be starters on other teams. And someone like Malik Beasley, who probably will be starting for another team next year if we can't work out contract stuff with him. The dude absolutely showed why he can't be the start number one shooting guard on the team because he got cooked by one I think Jalen Brunson three times in a row on this like simple crossovers to the basket and that's gonna hurt you and it was also like Grant um who's thus far I think been really good in spacing the floor making threes he was just breaking a few and that made him become hesitant by the time um it was really like crunch time so they played well for most of the game but they played terribly for the, the portion of the game that ended up losing them the game. The, I mean, and this has also been one of the interesting trends. If you're thinking about the five starters, who was the worst starter last night? Oh, um, 
without question, Jokic, um, who still got his double, his triple double. Um, but yeah, which is also the other early con- season concern I've seen, where it's just like he's he's not playing defense at all, which is weird because like that was one of the things I feel felt like he'd improved so much on, and people are just taking him to town under the basket right now. He's getting the bad foul calls. It just sort of looks like he's not either not invested or not quite in NBA regular season game shape, and I don't know which it is. Yeah, I mean, he's uh, there was uh, the Jackie McMullen report about Kyrie Irving and how his mood swings are already a um, big concern for the Nets. Jokic is a very light version of that, just when you're like, what's going on in this guy's head? I think we have to cut him some slack just in that he played like 10 games with the Serbian national team over the summer in China. Um, On top of that, he had 14 extra games he'd never played before. Yeah, right. Um, And I don't – I get winded doing my regular reps in the gym – and then, like, if I miss a day or two, come back, and I feel like absolute trash. I can't imagine like what the grind his body is going through. Especially, like, um, there were a couple of media day photos of him just looking like a big old chunky boy. Um, and he's like compared to Porzingis on the court. Like, yeah, he's his frame is huge. So I think he's still getting up to basketball shape. As a lot of people say, well, just imagine if he lost fifteen, twenty pounds. I don't think he would have been would be the dominant post player that he is without that weight. So I want to give him some slack. Um, and it's not like the year where Nene came back and it was just like it's clear he hadn't done anything for six months. It's yeah, just more yeah. like it's not cl- like he's – it would be nice to see him at that size in the shape that we'd like to see him in. But I also wonder if it's sort of like us where he's like the letdown of not playing meaningful games. He just has to – figure out how to adjust to, like, regular season NBA basketball again. Yeah, I mean, he's interesting just because, yeah, it's hard to see, like, what his competitive edge is. Like, you can tell, like, when Kobe is, like, locked into the zone. And Jokic still will kind of, like, have his waddling uh, on the court, but then he'll kick into gear. I think for him right now, he hasn't landing his threes, which there were so many moments in the game last night if – he had hit a three. If Grant had hit a three, Murray hit a three, it would have um, really changed the momentum of the game. But, yeah, I mean, you live and die by Jokic, and when even with a triple-double, he was the worst starter on the floor. That is definitely some concern because you just don't know when he'll decide to kick it back into damn near MVP gear. So Nuggets hopefully are going to get it together. They are. I mean, they're 3-1 and one in a very competitive Western Conference. We were talking like Phoenix was supposed to be the worst team in the league, and I think they're 2-2, two and two, and they've pushed every team to the brink. So, I mean, it's it ain't going to be easy. I don't think that the Nuggets are going to win as many games as they did last year, but I think they're going to be better overall once they really gel and um, – Hopefully the bench, if the bench and starters can play well on the same nights, that is a scary, scary team. Yeah, I mean, I think we were talking about this at the game a little last night. The hard part is it's just hard to tell what this team's going to look like in the big games so far. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I think the flip side of that is the Colorado Avalanche, who 
Uh, so we're recording this. They're playing a game tonight, Wednesday. This will go up Thursday. Our 8-2-1 with 17 points, tied for best in the West. And they played a hard road trip, six games early in the season against a ton of playoff teams. Um, looked great, won almost all those games. And then have sort of come back down to earth the last few games a little bit. Lost Rantanen. Week to week is what they're calling it. Now he's day-to-day, but no one really knows when he's coming back. And then they lost Gabe Landeskog on Monday. Um, I guess it was Tuesday. Indefinitely, for months, no one knows what the injury is yet. No one knows exactly when it happened. Some people are like, he seemed fine at the team's Halloween party, but also he didn't look that great in the last two games. So everything's up in the air with him, and suddenly McKinnon has lost his two wingers who made the second best or best line in hockey and the abs are going to have to move up Donskoy and Kadri from the second line Kadri moves from center to wing and Jost is going to get another chance to center that second line but that's that's sort of the problem with hot starts is like you want to be able to sustain it it's better than having a terrible start (laughs) but now they're really going to have to see how long they can survive how much Jost and their secondary scoring, which has been miles ahead of last year, can keep up. Their fourth line has almost scored as many points as their fourth line scored all of last year, and they've only played 11 games. Well, I mean, that's the hope that you have for the team with depth, is that you might have to change a bit of the philosophy around of match the players, but that you can trust next man up is also best man up, mm-hmm. which... I mean, it's the same for the Nuggets. I mean, it's there's some weird monkey paw shit happening if you have both Rantanen and Landeskog going down, especially when they're both, like, vague injuries. Like, uh, Rantanen had that weird knee injury. Like, I've not heard of a no-contact hockey knee injury, which is always really scary. It's amazing that he's day-to-day, but as we were talking before, hockey is so elusive. You don't have an ankle sprain. You don't have a... ACL tear, you have a lower body injury. And they can go from you know, week to week to day to day and it still may take... I would rather... like Avs had the hot start, so they have a bit of a cushion. Um, I mean, they looked like easily one of the most competitive teams last year getting the eighth seed. Even if they're not at the first seed, which I think a lot of um, projections show them as. Let everyone rest. I have confidence that the um, next up men are going to maintain until Landis Gagarantin and come back healthy. But I would want that to be well after the new year as opposed to trying to rush people back. Yeah, I agree. And, I mean, the one thing they have this year that they never had last year is they have two goalies that are playing well so far. Um, Franceau looked pretty good, and Grubauer has looked amazing so far. And last year, not... Grubauer and Varlamov never played well at the same time, and for a while, neither of them played well at all for like a <laughs> month where they were both just awful. So that is a huge step up, especially in hockey. The defense isn't quite as good as it was to start the season last year, but they're going to try some things. McCarr, um, in their last game, had a play where he looked like he was still in college, where he took the puck from in his own zone and weaved around everyone and almost scored. So that mm. has been exciting to see. He was tied for the rookie lead in points so he's still in play for the calder which is the rookie of the year which is exciting but the defense is a little bit of a concern but nowhere near as bad as it has been in the last few years and 
Hopefully that scoring depth keeps playing up. They're going to move Kamenev into the lineup, who is uh, one of the guys they traded for Duchesne, who mm. just gets injured every time he plays. So let's hope <laughs> he can stay healthy, but that'll be exciting. So I'm, I didn't expect they'd have anywhere near as good of a starter look as good as they did. Um, like this is their best start since that first Y year. This is a much better team than that. Mm. So it'll just be interesting to see how they adjust. And can McKinnon make the players around him better? Like, now, did Kadri and Donskoy look, I mean, not as good as Ranton and Atlantiskog, but, like, close, where you're yeah. like, they can get the goals and points. Well, that's definitely a concern. Like, while you have two of the best weapons out, does that make McKinnon stretch himself too thin? Because that would be a situation where he works so hard to keep pace while Arantanen and Landeskog are gone, and then, of course, they get back, then he gets hurt because of the stress. So it's going to be tough, but I think, I mean, McKinnon, again, in the race for the MVP, although he hasn't had great numbers so far, is like MVPs make players around them better. Like reason why Jokic, even with lower numbers and some other guys, was in the NBA MVP race. So... As little as I know, I'm still going to keep optimism. I think um, warm take that the Avs are still the best team in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, I think until the Nuggets prove otherwise, mm-hmm. they're, they are. Speaking of not the best team in Colorado. Oh, <laughs> let them know. I can't believe that it feels like we're in the exact same place with Colorado football. But it feels like we're back in the same place. With this last weekend, they played USC. We're up 10 going into the fourth quarter. Did not score. Gave up 14 points in the last 35-31 in a completely winnable game. And it was just like, I've been watching this CU team for the last 15 years. And I don't understand. This was following up a loss to Oregon, 45-10. to Oregon is a top-10 team. Mm-hmm. And a loss to Washington State, 41-10. to Washington's barely a top 10 team in the Pac-12 just because CU is so bad. Um, so I, there's nothing really to say other than that. Chenault finally played, looked pretty good. Like They have some good players, but it is, it is one of those things where it's just like it feels like the culture is never going to change, and they're just going to lose these games like that forever. I mean, so as a – sorry to label you. As a disgruntled CU fan um, – how long does Tucker as coach get before it's a failure on his part to develop that culture, failure on his part to recruit um, competitive talent? When does that grace period run out? Because, I mean, at the beginning of the season, everyone was like, yeah, we were talking about it. Yeah. Uh, win in the weight, weight room. I love that. Um, but, yeah, getting absolutely blown out, even by a far superior Oregon team, just it don't look good. It doesn't inspire the troops. So... What's that time frame for you? Yeah, I mean, for me, it's like he gets at least three years. Like, especially with recruiting and everything, he should probably get five years. Um, but it's it's so hard in college. And I don't, like, I don't know. Like, at some point, it has to be just, like, a systemic mentality. They just need everyone who's ever been on the team in this situation to leave. And they just get all new people. And, I mean, I think, you know, Montez was there for – the best of CU in the last 10 years and not the worst, but that Oregon state Mm -hmm. loss last year was pretty close to the worst. It was the worst in, well, that's not even true. This is the worst (laughs) in a few years. It wasn't the worst during McIntyre because his first year was rough, but I think it's just, 
I've said this before, but just like if you were just going to say one team is no longer going to play sports anymore, CU football would be the team I would pick. Just like it's so painful to just continually watch this team do this just for years. I mean, I've been closely following them since I started as a freshman. So this is the 11th season of CU football. They've made one bowl game. And and lost. Yeah, and lost. I don't know. Yeah, lost that game and lost countless other games just – I'm pretty disgruntled. And I mean, I know I'm being unfairly disgruntled by it, and I would be sad if CU football didn't exist anymore, but it's just, it's so hard to just, especially the way that they lose these games. The The fourth quarter loss is my least favorite, and I've n- no team has come close to being as bad at that in Denver over the last decade as CU. <laughs> Even when they're good, they end up losing those games. So... Uh, speaking of not very good teams, we'll just continue on this trajectory. Um, arguably perhaps the worst. <laughs> yes, probably the worst. I have some Colorado Rockies updates. This is live breaking at the time of recording. Oh, this. wow. Okay. Hit me Reported with it. Reported in the last hour. So there were four player transactions today. I'm going to start from least surprising to most surprising. Okay. Okay. Tim Melville, the sort of savior at the end of the season that was winning some games for them. The stopper in all of their losing streaks has been assigned to Albuquerque, which for him, pretty good, because last year he wasn't even on a real team. He was on an independent league team, the Long Island Ducks, and now he gets to go to a real team, Triple A. That has to be a cool jersey. Yeah, yeah, fight for a starter spot. Everyone's happy about that. Pat Valenka claimed off waivers and has gone to Baltimore, so the Pat Valenka era is officially over. Oh, Patty Barrels. The Tyler Anderson era is also over. He oh. got claimed off waivers by the San Francisco Giants, so expect him to just light it up. Yeah, absolutely crush it like uh, one um, Jordan Lyles. Yeah, it'll (laughs) be like that. And then really the the heartbreaker of the news, the Rockies have let Chad Bettis go to free agency, and he is no longer on the roster. Oh, Chad. I mean, first, a round of applause, a salute to our moved-on brothers. Um I, yeah. Chad Bettis, I mean, amazing story coming back from cancer, um, pitching very solid games. Just he wasn't a starter for a lot of teams and had to be one for the Rockies. Um, but hopefully he can get a solid contract. I mean, in the in Major League Baseball, there's no shortage of competent pitchers. Or uh, no, I mean, no. The other way around. Yeah. You'll want confident pitchers. <laughs> Chad Bettis, get your money, my dog. Um, Pat Vileka, he's one of the, like, the players that just like has left me unreasonably disgruntled with um, not just like the management but the front office. Yeah. Like how like he had that amazing probably like ten game stretch where he was just cranking baseballs out of the park. Um, but then he just continued to swing like that. Time and time again, regardless of strikes, balls, situation, um, go ahead and be bad in Baltimore. Pat yeah, Malika. I mean, not not where anyone wants to go right now. <laughs> no, um, I think the main thing for me is that's two fifths of your opening day starting rotation are now gone. They moved Chad Bettis to the bullpen, so he wasn't really there. Tyler Anderson got hurt early. And then Tim Melville was a starter late in the season. So they've got some places they need to fill some holes at this point because right now their starters, uh, 
Gray if he's healthy, Freeland, Marquez, Sensatella, and Hoffman. That would be your five right now. And and I guess Chichi Gonzalez is your six. Chichi Gonzalez, who was like a free agent pickup. Yeah. I don't know how you're supposed to feel about that. I guess you always have Melville wait, waiting the rings, but they need somebody else at this point. Like Anderson was kind of their wild card. Maybe this will work out. Um, part of this was they had too many guys on the roster, so they had to let some guys go. You can only have 40 guys on the roster mm. November 1st, so that was how this sort of played out. But I don't know. That's all we need to talk about the Rockies until they do something else. Yeah, I had other opinions, but yeah, we'll save that for... Um, once the World Series is over and we get closer to spring training all the way in 2020. And now, maybe the worst team in Colorado? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I, I pulled the trigger. Rockies, you're my most favorite mediocre team. Our new worst team in Colorado, the... Denver Broncos. Boy, oh boy. If we still want to claim them. <laughs> um, They'll be the Edgewater Broncos. Yeah. <laughs> um, so... But last time we talked, I don't even remember if they'd won that Titans game yet or not. That was a weird game. But then they – so they won two games in a row. Uh-huh. If they win the game against the Chiefs, they're one game out of a playoff spot for the division against the Chiefs. Lose 30-6. to six. In just the most – I don't want to talk about this too long because I could literally talk for an hour <laughs> about that game and how bad it was. But they played themselves out of a game that then Mahomes got hurt in. And if they would have just played a normal game, they might have had a chance other than how inept they are. Yeah, but uh, they let Matt Moore yeah. rack up points on him. Who has more NFL experience than their current roster, which we'll get to in a minute. <sighs> so then they lose to the Colts. And it was a classic Broncos game. They did everything wrong on the last drive. They had a questionable penalty called against them. They gave up a big play. And they gave up the field goal lost. They've done that three times this year. Then Joe Flacco is calling out the conservative play calling, which one was funny because part of that is him. Like, he's the quarterback. He can change things if he wants. Yeah. And the other funny part was he was acting like this wasn't normal. And this is the Broncos team we've watched for the last five years where they only call conservative plays on offense. And so that part to me was funny because it was like, clearly you haven't been here very long. And I, I can respect him for calling out what looks like pretty lukewarm, if not dog shit, offensive play calling. But one, yeah, he's the check down king. And he had the audacity to say that, oh, you know, they should be more aggressive because getting in field goal range isn't that hard. Although all of the second half, the Broncos failed to do just that to build any type of comfortable lead against... A Colts team, which I think is really good. Like, shout out to Jacoby Brissett. I thought I would only learn his name because it was interesting, but he's now filled the giant shoes of Andrew Luck and has played the Colts into a division lead at the moment. But that looked like a totally beatable team by a competent, talented enough Broncos team. And, yeah, that offense just grounded to a halt in, like, the most flashback to Trevor Simeon taking seven-yard sacks because no one is open and he can't get it to anybody anyway. Um, so yeah. then Flacco gets hurt, which he was hurt at the end of the Colts game. His neck, there was something wrong with his neck. Air quotes, hurt. <laughs> and, like, they're doing weird stuff on the bench, and I was like, I've never seen that happen in a game. And then I was, was trying like to... Was like chiropractic? 
Yeah, like yeah. And he still had his helmet on, I think. It was very weird. Then I was trying to figure out who the Broncos' backup quarterback was, and I came up with, oh, Allen. It's on the back of his jersey. Could not come up with his first name. And now he's the Broncos' starting quarterback because Flacco is out indefinitely, probably for the rest of the season, as of this recording, not on IR yet. But the Broncos now have Brandon Allen as their starting quarterback. Brett Ripien has been activated from the practice squad and will be the backup. And Drew Locke is just hanging out, number one, first-round pick or second-round pick. Twiddling his now-healthy thumbs. And the best theory that I have heard is that somehow Elway thinks that the less Locke plays, the more likely he is to keep his job. (sighs) But the Broncos have, between the three of them, even with Locke, zero NFL snaps on their... Quarterback Damn. roster. Yeah, well, with, that's where yeah, we talk about amazing moments in sports that you look back on like, there's no way I would have believed you. I would not have believed you a preseason that I'd miss Kevin Hogan, but I wish we still had Kevin Hogan on Yeah, I mean, he could have done what Flacco's been doing. I don't know if either of these guys can because I sort of remember Allen playing a little bit in that Rams. Like, he played for the Rams. Mm-hmm. And he was pretty good, but the Broncos' defense wasn't that good. Like, they had no reserve players. Well, first, shout-out to Brandon Allen, because he is an alumni of the Arkansas University. I, oh, uh, I remember now. We talked about this when he got signed. That was the one sweet? exciting thing we could find. Go ahead, Razorbacks. Um, kind of short for an Elway guy, only 6'2". 27. So the guy has been around. Um but not starting in the professional league. So, yeah, dude, that's going to be... I mean, Cleveland is still a uh, is a wild-card team in terms of, like, are you going to get a solid Cleveland team, or are they going to be the Browns that you always know? Well, and I'm not sure if you saw, but uh, Baker Mayfield walked out of a press conference today. He got in an argument with a reporter. It was just like, I'm leaving, basically, which was very weird. Like, given the circumstances, made absolutely no sense. <laughs> it, um, it was, it wasn't, they didn't get into an argument asking him questions like, are you mad at OBJ for giving Tom Brady cleats? No, I think it was mainly just like, did you like that play call? And he's like, no, and then stormed out. Oh, and I was wow. like, why are you asking such dumb questions? So that's not great. And Cleveland, yeah, I think they're a wild card. They're two and five. Sounds familiar. With the Broncos. Well, the Broncos are 2-6. and six. They haven't had their bye yet. But the other problem for the Broncos, I don't know how this Cleveland game is going to go. Cleveland should win, but even if they don't, like it's like the Broncos are playing for a draft pick, but they're not going to have a f- top five pick. There's no way that they're – because these are the teams that are below them right now. Bengals, 0-8. 0% chance they're going to catch them. Yeah, it's a huge gulf to cover. Miami Dolphins, 0-7. No chance. Like, between those two, we may not see a single win the whole season. Except for they play each other, so it's going to happen. Tie. (laughs) (laughs) Washington Redskins, 1-7. Not catching them. Even at two wins. Hard to see that happening. Atlanta Falcons, who I don't know what happened to them. 1-7. I know, dude. The Jets, 1-6. The Giants, so this is a team that they could pass. But that's five right there. Mm -hmm. Those five. I don't see how they get lower than them. And they don't play any of those teams. And then the Broncos are are two and six. The Buccaneers are two and five. Cleveland's two and five. 
and then the Chargers are three and five. They're like there are a ton of bad teams. They're not going to have a top five pick. No. And at, at worst, they're going to have a top ten pick. Like they're not. There's not a lot of wiggle room here. Yeah, and that's where people are clamoring again, like tanking for another QB by drafting Locke and signing Flacco. Um, they're not in a position to get a franchise quarterback in the draft. I think it might happen, but then you put another franchise, another quote-unquote franchise quarterback behind a line that just cannot get right. Um, an offense which, shout-out to Cortland Sutton as we talked about him last time around, is that he's playing his way into being a like number one receiver. Oh, oh yeah, other thing that happened – Traded Emmanuel Sanders um, while yeah, we were away. They had receivers in that game. I've never, I've never seen before. Yeah, um, like you, you're just you get a quarterback and then you just set them up for failure because you still have the same team that can't uh, execute. Um, surrounded by him, so I think as we talk about, is this a retool or a rebuild? I think now the Broncos have hit enough milestones of suck to officially be in rebuild mode. I'm not sure they're a rebuild yet. I think they're in free fall mode. <laughs> they, the kind, the Flacco thing was a sign of this. They, I think we're gonna see more dysfunction before the season's over. True, true. Well, I mean, part of rebuilding is to dig in the foundation and suck all the mud and other like shit out. Um, but yeah, it's gonna be a good long while before they're a fully competitive team. There's so much here. There's yeah. so much. Yeah. But Broncos and free fall, dude. Jeez. <laughs> well, they play the Browns this week, and we'll be ready to cover it next week yeah, on buddy. the Denverse. Have a good Halloween and start to your November. Bye. Peace. <laughs>